Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to Pull the Thread. I'm really excited about this episode because I know that while a lot of my listeners for this podcast are just starting out and they're just now trying to figure out how they might go about profiting from their handmade work, there's also a bunch of you guys that already have craft-based and sewing businesses as well as designers who've already launched their first line and they're profiting and they're trying to find ways to optimize. So this episode is for you. If you are already making 30K but you're not quite making like 80K from your handmade uh, your handmade work or from your your clothing lines, this episode is for you to help you refine your focus. And my main reason for this is because I'm seeing it nonstop, both in entertainment and also in fashion, where the things that got us to 30K, the things that got us to an income that's paying some bills, um, those things will not get you to the next level. And what we often see is Um, people just repeating those same steps again and again and again, and they think that it's lather, rinse, repeat, and it's just not. (laughs) It's more so like one hand washes the other. As always, I like to teach you guys things starting with a story. So here's your story for the day. Guccio Gucci was born in Florence on the 26th of March in 1881. He was an Italian British businessman and a legendary designer. And it's said that he became fascinated by the stylish guests at the Savoy Hotel in London, where he worked as a lift boy in the early 1900s. It wasn't just the high-quality clothes of the wealthy that inspired Gucci, but also their well-made luggage. When he returned to Florence, he began creating travel bags, and the House of Gucci was founded in 1921. Originally, it was a small, family-owned leather goods shop, and he made saddles. So their focus was creating tech for horses, and this ended up providing the inspiration for the snaffle bit leather loafer that became their signature look for a while. Using the finest of Italian leathers, demand for this brand grew and grew and grew, and Guccio ended up bringing his three sons in to help him run the business. This allowed him to open up other storefronts in London and Milan. Then, in the mid-1930s, there were all of these trade sanctions against Italy, which meant it was really hard to come by all of that beautiful, beautiful leather, so Guccio had to get creative, and this is where the bamboo-handled Gucci bag came into play. So they started importing different materials in order to complete their bags. This worked, obviously. (laughs) And then the brand just continued to expand and expand, and so around, I believe, 1953, I'll have to check that, but 1953, the first Gucci shop opened in New York, and soon after that, unfortunately, Guccio passed away, leaving his three sons to run the whole show on their own. Now, there's one key figure in the name of Gucci's history that you would absolutely recognize, and that's Elizabeth Taylor. 
I personally think that Elizabeth helped put Gucci on the map. Hollywood loved the Gucci bamboo bag. Elizabeth was seen everywhere wearing her bamboo-handled bag on her right arm, in magazines, in newspapers, on film, and you began to see it trickle into society, especially in Hollywood. In the mid-60s, Gucci also introduced the GG canvas bag. That was introduced. It took off like wildfire. So what do the brothers do? Lather, rinse, repeat. They decide to expand into Hong Kong and Tokyo, so they want to expand into Asia. This is the 1970s. They open up stores there, and what happens? They almost completely fall apart. The brand is almost completely dissolved. Um, Tension, arguments, it's just a saga of arguments of, of how to run the company, what they should be doing with the money. If you've seen House of Gucci, there's a little bit of truth to it. Let's just say that. The rivalry between family members is insane. There's multiple lawsuits. There's tax evasion, some incarceration, a little bit of murder. There's a lot going on inside of this family that's also currently running one of the largest fashion brands worldwide. Let's just say blood was not thicker than water in this case. So you had three biological sons, Vasco, Rodolfo, and Aldo, and there was all of this sibling rivalry, the bigger and bigger that the brand got, um, and that led to the downfall. In 1981, they decided to launch a ready-to-wear line, and they gave it plenty of time, gave it plenty of oxygen, and it just was not enough to turn things around for Gucci. So in 89, they brought in Don Mellows to run the brand. Now, Don's the one who's credited for bringing Tom Ford and Neil Barrows in, and uh, Tom Ford was the one that put out all the super, super successful ad campaigns for Gucci that made it a mega brand up until uh, Tom left to do his own thing. And then you had Alessandro Facinetti, uh, which was a raging failure that only showed for like a couple seasons. And then Frida Giannini um, was all right. But then like at, towards the very end, they got rid of her for being super, super boring around 2015, I believe. And that's when Alexandra Michele was brought on and took over, and it's obviously been been fine ever since. <laughs> but what I want you to get from this story about a major, major brand is that even Gucci knew what he was doing until he got to a certain level. Um, and when he passed it on to his sons, his sons thought that lathering, rinsing, and repeating would guarantee them stability and safety and security as an internationally known brand. And when you step back from that, that's like super, super macro. But when you step back from that and you look at it in the perspective of being a handmade business, a small business, no, you may not be Gucci. However, it's the same principles apply. It's just that in order for you to recognize it, the changes are a lot more nuanced when something is working or when something isn't. Like I said at the top of the episode, when you're already making money from the things that you're making or you're designing, you often think that you just need to do that a lot more times, but that's not the case because the problem is that you had to learn a certain set of skills, whether it was creating content or perfecting your product in order to get to that point, in order to even make $10, $100, $1,000, $10,000, you had to perfect your product or you had to perfect your content sharing to show people your product to get a certain amount of sales or to get a certain amount of bookings for your service-based business. However, when you're already making money from the things that you make or the things that you design, you need a new set of skills. (laughs) So you've entered a new territory and you need next level skills to get you to that next level. This is the biggest mistake that I see makers and designers making is they think that the things that got them where they currently are are going to get them to the next level. And that's not the case. It doesn't work that way. Because here's the thing. Now that you're already making money from the things that you make, the most valuable thing to you is your time. 
Like, can I get an amen? You cannot find enough time in your day the moment you start making things for money. All of a sudden, now you have cultivated up this customer base. You've generated enough buzz to keep you busy full time. Now it's time to step back and pare down. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, no, 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 I need that. I need that money, Crystal. (laughs) No, I get it. I do. But now you have to focus on the fact that time is your non-renewable asset. Think about it like this. When you don't have enough clients filling your free time, you have plenty of time to run to the grocery store. You have plenty of time to go do your grocery shopping. You have plenty of time to keep your kitchen clean. But when all of a sudden you look up and you are making things for 60 hours a week, now you cannot get enough of your free time. And now if your time is worth more than a $15 grocery delivery person, you can make way more money in that hour than $15. And now your time is the one thing that you just cannot save enough of. So now your mindset has to shift. Your mindset has to go from trading your time for money to delegating out time for more time. And if you don't think that you're there yet, I created a little list of symptoms that it might just be time to start paring down and delegating out the things that you don't truly love to do. Here we go. Number one, you are not getting back to all of your clients who are asking you for things. Remember, you already have the clients. You've already built up the reputation. If you're making this much a year, you've already built up the reputation. People already know about you and they already know about your services. So number one is if you are dropping the ball on getting back to clients, that's the first symptom that time is now your non-renewable asset. It's the one thing that is the most valuable to you. Number two, elements of your personal life are suffering whether it be sleep or communication with loved ones or keeping up your home, those elements, if they are suffering, it may be time to begin delegating. Number three, you feel topped out at cap on the amount of money that you can earn and you're feeling a little dead inside about one particular kind of job that you are allowing into your business, whether it's creating a certain product or providing a specific service. For me personally, I am not a fan of wedding dresses or bridesmaids dresses. It's a service that I had eliminated from my business years ago that I'll only do for like family and close friends. Um, That was one that to me, I noticed that I was putting off and putting off and putting off and then suffering for at the last minute. And it's because it was work that didn't really light me up inside, but I felt the need to say, yes, because it made good money. So that's number three. Let's say you are at cap and you are not making enough money at what you're doing and you don't have any time or bandwidth to make more, aka the amount that you need to be making. That's number three. That means that you are most likely too caught up in the lather, rinse, repeat and not understanding how the one hand washes the other hand. If you are seeing yourself in any items on my list You are going to be tapped out and capped out at what you're earning until you implement a tool that I'm about to share with you. And the reason being is because you can't just keep repeating the process of getting more clients. (laughs) And I don't know why, why we always need to hear this from another person, a third party, objective party, non-biased, but we do. So I'm going to say it for you. 
doing more of the same thing is not going to produce you a different result. So just creating content piece after content piece is not going to suddenly make you more financially successful. It's not going to make the right person when everybody else was the wrong person, but cumulatively they got you by. It's not going to make the right person just see your content. That's like the Nashville artist mentality, just thinking there's one person in the room and they're going to happen to be in the room on the right day and they're going to pick me and sign me and my whole life is going to change. That's not how it works out here. (laughs) So we have to get a little bit more strategic. Rather than doing more, we are going to protect our yes and only say yes to the things that are going to genuinely move the needle beyond how far they've been moving the needle in the past. So in order to do that, we're going to implement a tool. And before I teach you the tool, I want you to grab a sheet of paper. If you're driving, please do not do that, but make a mental list of all of the things that you do to earn money in your business. So let's say you do bridesmaid or wedding dress alterations. Let's say you make a product again and again and again, and or maybe there are three products in your line. Um, whatever it is, whatever your job looks like for your handmade business or your clothing line, I want you to look through all of the tasks in your head or write them out on paper if you're not driving. Um, And I want you to rank them based on the order of how much you love them. Like literally on, on a scale of one to five, I want you to say one if it sucks and you hate it, but it makes money, right? So one if it sucks and five if you are just over the moon elated to get to do that task every day. I know for me in my business, there are things on that list that are like five out of five. I've never changed my mind about them. I absolutely adore it. So make your list and write down everything that you have to do in your business in order to achieve what you're currently making overall. Now that you've got that list, And it's already ranked from one to five in terms of how much you love it, how much you hate it, whatever, one through five next to every single task. And literally one task could be cutting out shorts. Another task could be surging those shorts. Another task is cover stitching those shorts or hemming them. I want every single task in the business that you do in a given week, I want it all listed out and ranked from one to five. So once you've done that, the next step, you're going to rank it based on how much money it makes you. If it's a product-based business, this is a little tricky. I would actually rank those based on the finished product, how much money it makes you. Like let's say those shorts are selling for 200 bucks and they take an hour to make, you better keep on making them shorts. So in this case, a one is like, it's really not making you much money. A five is like, heck yeah, keep going, full speed ahead. This is a money maker. So you're going to go down the list, everything that you ranked from one to five before based on like your heart, you're going to go through from one to five and base it on your bank account. Once you've done that, average those two numbers. So a five and a five is a five, a one and a one is a one. So go through and average those two numbers together and take a long, hard look at your list of tasks because sometimes there are things that we think we have to do, but they're not making us any money and we freaking hate it, but we do it anyways. Those are the kind of things that we would just eliminate from our businesses, but I don't want to jump ahead. So now you've got your averages on your list. Now you want to go through and you're going to apply this tool. For everything that is a five, These are things that put you over the moon with joy and fill your bank account. These are things that you don't outsource because 
as a host of this podcast, as an online course creator, as a teacher, an educator, as a tailor, all the things that I am, I will always advocate to you that it's not all about the money. Yeah, like I, I have a course that's literally called the six-figure sewing pattern where I teach you how to do it, but it's not about the money. That's like serving people up what they think they want and that way I can actually teach them what they really, really need. And that's it. Your heart has to be full. And so if you're just doing something for the money, you're going to end up, it's going to be a one anyways later on. So if something fills your heart up, but maybe it's not super, super profitable, keep doing it. You need that joy. Absolutely keep doing it. But you're going to go through and everything that's in the fours and the fives are things that you should keep. If it's a five on both counts, the average is five. These are things that you should never outsource. If it's between three and five, my best or three and four, my best advice would be it's time to delegate. These are tasks that are prime for delegation, which means they're not lighting you up or they're really not too profitable for you. So what you could be doing with that time is more five out of five work. You get me? (laughs) So if you were able to delegate out the threes and the fours or the twos to fours, you could replace that time with something that is filling your heart up and is being financially viable for you and have somebody else do it. And that way it's still earning money or the task is still getting done, but it's freeing you up to do the work that only you can do or the work that you truly enjoy. All right. So now down to the ones through twos. If something is still viable or you're just not ready to say goodbye to it yet and it's a two, that's something I would definitely delegate, but I would plan to sunset it out of your business in the future. If something is a one, it's got to go. Let me tell you, it's going to cost you big. And I mean, I have the experience and the firsthand knowledge of what happens when you allow a one to maintain space inside of your business. If something is ranking a one or even potentially a two, I would actually encourage you to pull the plug on it unless it's just something that you're like, dang, I can't screw over my current clients, but this is a two. That's how you say we're getting rid of this within the next six months or 12 months. We're doing away with it. Or you know what? We're not taking any more clients doing X. Um, We're just going to fulfill the orders or the commitments that we have of that two work. But the one, you are eliminating that sucker from your business starting today and you are going to free up your space and your bandwidth to be able to take on more four and five work. So that's the tool. It's called Automate, Delegate, and Eliminate. It is absolutely a needle mover in your business. If you are already earning 30K, but you're not quite where you want to be, this is the time where we refine what we're focused on and we we account for every minute that we spend in our businesses. So we start ranking the objects and the tasks that we do in our business, and then we delegate it if it's not setting us on fire with excitement or it's not really filling the bank account to do it ourselves. And when it comes to delegation, honestly, it's it's really hard to train. It's a weird market out there right now um, in terms of employment and the people that you can find. Um, my best advice would be um, get to know somebody's personality type before you hire them. Um, you can teach somebody anything. Um, if you don't have the time to, you don't have the time to. Um, but when it comes down to it, personality is everything. And I think that if you know their learning style and you know um, who they are as a person, uh, then you'll know very quickly if they're going to have what it takes to be able to step up in your business and help you get those three and four tasks out of the way and profitable. So there you have it. That's that tool. 
Now here's the catch. The whole goal of this exercise was to give you more bandwidth, to give you more oxygen, more breathing room in your business. Because oftentimes in our businesses, once you've got a steady stream of inbound customers and you've got constant appointments and fittings and meetings and whatever it is, you tend to spin in circles and your business needs room. It needs margin. A five-star life requires margin. I've said it before. So what this goal of the exercise was, was to create margin and space for you so that you can zoom out and get a lot more objective about the type of customers that you bring in. Now, I'm not sure if you have done the work to finesse out who your ideal customer is, but this is also a really great time to get clear on who you're speaking to in your messaging. So rather than just constantly like post and pray, share and hope, you know, that's not what we're doing. We're going to get really, really specific. So for example, let's say that you are a dressmaker, like a dress designer, And up until now, you have been sharing posts nonstop about the dresses that you make um, and and just about dressmaking in general. It's not really specific because you're just like, literally anybody pay attention to my business and hire me. Um, Now is the time with your newfound bandwidth um, that you get more specific about the kind of dresses that you enjoy making. So we are now coming from this mental headspace of abundance and not of scarcity. So the mental headspace that says, I make dresses for people is not one that says, I only work with people who are looking for wedding dresses, or I only am working for people who are looking for a couture gown. Because by default, you're going to be able to up your prices to those ideal customers and do less work overall. Because you've gotten very clear about the one thing that you are an expert in. No one believes you if you say that you're an expert in all dresses. But if you've looked over your last three ideal customers and you have decided that your favorite ones to work with were the ones that needed couture gowns, then now it's time to refine your messaging and get it even more clear without the fear that it's not going to be enough money, without the fear that you're not going to have enough customers. Because once you get really, really clear, you're now whispering to the few rather than screaming to the masses. And you know what happens? There's like this weird mental shift that happens to the audience um, that says, oh my gosh, that person only accepts this many clients a year because she only works with this. The entire framework around how people speak about that person changes. They're like, oh, no, 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 she's the best because she only does couture dresses. Because you wouldn't even be narrowing your niche if you weren't the expert at that, right? If you weren't the best. So now scarcity comes into play and it's not because of some weird scummy sales tactic like act now, I'm only allowing this many customers to come pay me money. It doesn't come across that way. It's more so because creating the scarcity and saying I'm only taking on this many clients or I'm only producing this many of this item of this product allows you to get laser focused. Something happens. There's a shift that happens in your brain that you've cleared your plate of everything else and the only thing that you can think of is solving the problems of that one person. And then you get really good at how you speak about how you solve that problem. Your marketing is transformed. I'm telling you, every single time I have ever seen anybody narrow down their niche and start speaking to the one rather than hollering to the masses, their communication is clear. It's impactful and it makes a change in their business. And once your marketing is clear and it's been transformed, the customer base changes as well. 
narrowing down your niche is the fastest way to not only improve your output, like improve the quality of the product that is going out the door, but also to increase your revenue because you're changing your tasks less. There's less task switching. There's less bouncing around because you've delegated out the things that aren't really earning you and prioritizing your skills or your time. And then you've replaced those things with the things that truly light you up, make you more money, and help you become even more well-known for the thing that you want to be creating most of all. Okay, so let's say you're in the last category of of maker or seamstress in that you love what you're doing, you just wish you made more money. <laughs> um, the importance of creating a personal brand, I would say, is up there with the importance of keeping good accounting, especially over the next few years. Some people say that we're already in a recession. Uh, I would partially agree with that, but I also think that um, companies with high uh, margin will be fine. And I also think that we've kind of been in a recession for a couple of years. I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I kind of don't feel anymore about that. I just respond. So um, anyways, if you are in the group of people listening to this podcast where you're already making money from what you're doing, you love what you're doing, you just wish you could make more money. The importance of building a personal brand around what you do is the single most powerful thing that you can do in your business. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean that negate this entire podcast and just keep creating content. I do mean the way that you show up online will make or break the strength of that personal brand and what you can do with it. You're going to have to create a personal brand around you and what you do and find ways to build that know, like, and trust factor with strangers so they see so that they see the value of paying you more versus whoever's at the alteration shop that day. <laughs> so your content, rather than just continuing on and posting like crazy, your content needs to be more optimized. You are going to have to show more FaceTime with the camera. You're going to have to put in more time going live and you're going to have to show people why you are known for doing that one thing. What makes you stand out? What makes people come to you? What do your favorite clients say about you and why they absolutely hands down choose you every time? Now, this part is super awkward if you're not used to doing it. It was very difficult for me to start showing up in the public eye um, just to be able to show people, hey, this is what I've done and you can too. That was a really hard change for me. I'm a pretty social introvert actually. So it's very difficult and taxing for me to show up on TikTok and Instagram Live and all of that um, just to be able to be seen um, and so that I would be able to make the change that I need to make in other people's lives and people who want to run businesses. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm right there with you and saying that it is hard and it's it can be taxing um, if you don't put boundaries around it. But your content strategy will be everything. And not that you need to just be posting ruthlessly nonstop, but that it needs to be extremely calibrated. So in this, you need to share different things about your life that are not solely about what you make and what you do for money. Um, but you also need to constantly be reintroducing yourself as to who you are and what you do and who you do it for. Becoming a personal brand and branding yourself around what you do will be the single thing that helps you get bookings because there are going to be people who resonate with you and can easily know, like, and trust you who go, you know what? I just want to hire her because I already feel like I know her or him. I, I feel like I know him already. And so 
that's the person that I want to make my couture dress, or that's the person that I want to hire for this music video shoot. I feel like her aesthetic is going to, she's going to understand immediately what we're trying to go for, and that's who I want to hire. That's the single most powerful way to go about increasing the cost of your bookings is becoming known for a very specific thing and and building a brand that people have fallen in love with because you're being authentically you. The funniest part about that is that is also the best way to set yourself apart when you have a ton of competition. Like let's say you make the exact same product as someone else You're not going to be able to stand out if you don't infuse your personality and infuse all of those special little bits of who you are into your social media and your online presence because the differentiator can't be the product, so it has to be the brand. So I know that this was like a long episode and I threw a lot at you, so let's just summarize it really quick. If you are already earning money from the things that you make or design and it's still not exactly where you need to be or maybe you have zero free time and you're not happy with where you are, then it's time to apply the automate, eliminate, and delegate tool where you are going to automate anything that can be automated. You're going to delegate out anything that's not making you enough money um, or lighting your heart up and then you're going to eliminate things that are doing nothing for you but just taking up space. Once that's done, it's time for you to narrow down your niche and dedicate the time that you are putting into your work only into the things that light you up and fill your bank account. Everything else gets delegated or eliminated, and then your goal moving forward is to sharpen up your marketing strategy and get very, very niche down and clear about who you're speaking to on social media and in any other marketing avenues that you've pursued for your business. After you have reached peak saturation, just like Gucci did opening up stores all over the world and on every continent, you'll hit a ceiling if you're trying to just do the lather, rinse, repeat thing. So if you don't want to lather, rinse, repeat, it's time to break the cycle. Start automating and delegating and eliminating different tasks within your business. I think you will find that you will grow in ways that you'd never imagined before. And hey, you can even keep it small. If you're not looking to become an internationally recognized brand, you could still keep it small, but more profitable using these tools. So I hope that you got something out of today. I will see you next time on Pull the Thread.